0: Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and today's message is the final message of our series in Acts title continuation. Today, Kirk Katsorki is going to be teaching from Acts chapter 28, verses 17 through 30, and in this message, we're going to be taking a look at the difference between being open to hearing God's voice and being callous to God's leading as a result of ignoring Him. So with that, let's open up our Bibles and let's get started. This morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 28. This is the last uh, Sunday in Acts. We're finishing the book this morning. We'll look at verses 17 through 30. And as we approach this, uh, this section, this text, um, the question that comes up in this is uh, Is your heart open to God's leading? Um, you, as a specific individual, not, not us, but you as an individual, are you open to God's leading? Um, Are are your eyes open to God's revelation in the scriptures and then ultimately in his son Jesus? Um, Do you have ears that hear the voice of God? Does your heart seek truth? And the language that that Paul uses in this passage is from Isaiah chapter 6. And he's going to say that the hearts of the people have grown calloused. And so really the question this morning is, is are you called of God or are you calloused? Um, Do you you have ears that can hear God's voice? Um, Are your eyes open to his truth? Uh, Not if, but when God speaks to your heart, do you listen? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And, and, And if you're not a Christian this morning, I encourage you to just open up. And be willing to hear from God. Uh, if you are a Christian this morning, I hope that you walk away from this with some tools that maybe help you interact with people who, who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I also hope that you walk away with a real great appreciation of your salvation. Um, the time before knowing Jesus and now the life after, it's, it's so different. Sometimes we can lose sight of that. Um, Hope you walk away with an appreciation of your salvation. As we finish the book of Acts here, uh, Paul is in this, the city of Rome, and uh, in Jesus' words from Acts 1-8, they sort of meet this open-ended fulfillment. Jesus said that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And w- that's what we've seen take place. The, the book of Acts actually follows that pattern. Jesus' disciples are witnesses in Jerusalem, and then Judea, the area surrounding them, and then Samaria, a little outside their bubble. And then Paul's missionary journeys take him through 10 or more different Roman Roman provinces, where he shares the gospel in different cities. And Paul's pattern of ministry was that he would go into the synagogue and he would share with the Jewish people how Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, He would share from them with them from the the law and the prophets, the first five books of the Bible, and then the prophetic books. He would share from them the places where a suffering Messiah was predicted. Some of the Jews would believe, and many of them would disbelieve, and there were several times where he would get kicked out of the synagogue, and so he would then spend his time in different places in those cities, sharing the truth of Jesus as Lord to non-Jewish people, to Gentiles. And so that's his pattern of ministry, and during that pattern of ministry, he, he gets a lot of friends, but he also gets a lot of enemies. Churches are planted in different cities throughout the Roman world, but there's also a lot of opposition to this message of who Jesus is, because what it does is it's confrontational, and it puts people who are in positions of authority, um, it makes them question how they're doing what they're doing, and they don't like that. And so Paul gets some enemies as well. As his, as his foes grow, as he gets more and more enemies, what happens is he's actually, he returns to Jerusalem and the Jewish people in the city, they grab him, they're ready to kill him. The Romans intercede and so he has a handful of trials with Roman leadership and the charges that are brought before the Roman leadership is that Paul is an enemy of Jerusalem, he's an enemy to the Jewish faith, and he's also an enemy to Rome. Those are the two charges that are brought before him. He's an enemy of the Jewish people, and he's an enemy of whatever that sound is. Um, <laughs> sorry, um, he's also an enemy of uh, of the of Rome. He's he's gonna he's a re, he's a rebel, and he's gonna lead a rebellion. Those are the things that are brought up. And so he ends up having these trials, and then eventually he's imprisoned. He's kept in Caesarea for two years. The governor of of Caesarea changes. And then after that, um, he teaches people how to use their cell phone. Um, After that, sorry, that's not distracting. So he teaches people how to, uh, what am I saying? (laughs) He was in Caesarea, that's what I was saying, he's in Caesarea, he's kept there for two years, the Roman governor changes, he goes through a new set of trials, he appeals to Caesar because he doesn't want to go back to Jerusalem, because he believes that if he gets taken back to Jerusalem, uh, there's going to be a false trial, just like Jesus had, and he's going to be killed under false charges. So, he appeals to Caesar, at the end of that time frame, he gets taken to Rome, he's transferred from Caesarea to Rome, he's made his way to Rome now, and that's where he is, okay? Now, a lot of people don't know this, but during Paul's first imprisonment, uh, there, there's two in Rome. The first one is between 60 and 62 AD, um, and during that time, we get a little insight into what happens. Um, from this passage here at the end of that time, he's actually released. He revisits the churches that he helped plant. Um, he writes Titus and second Timothy, and then he's captured again, imprisoned again in 66 AD. Um, and, uh, at that point in time, he's martyred at the hands of the emperor Nero, a great, uh, big persecution against Christians breaks out and Paul takes some of that. So the book of Acts doesn't record those events that I just shared with you from 62 on. Those events aren't shared uh, in the book of Acts, but we know them to be true from both biblical and extra-biblical sources. Um, I've included it in your handout there if you're curious about the, the Paul's lifetime and how that all went down. Um, the book of Acts can be kind of confusing to follow, and so there's a, a link there um, to a timeline of Paul's life. It goes from his birth all the way through his death and then even on to 70 AD and the destruction of the temple. But what the book of Acts closes with is another of Paul's interactions with his Jewish brothers and what we see is as usual some of the Jews believe Jesus as the Messiah but most reject uh, Luke who is the writer of the the book here a book of Acts he emphasized the callous heart of the Jewish people and how the church is growing to going to grow more and more towards Gentile conversions and leadership okay so that's what uh, we're, we're learning here as we go through this So with that, let me pray and we'll look at these verses together. So Father, this morning as we come to you, I I pray that each and every one of us as individuals would be willing um, to open our hearts to you. Um, Many of us have already made the decision to to trust you as our Lord, to place faith in Jesus' death on the cross for the payment of our sins and his resurrection from the dead, proving that your son is the the one true God, the one Messiah who's saved us, who's conquered sin and death. Um, And then he also rose from the dead to give us new life. Many of us have believed this. But there are many this morning who don't yet know you as their Lord and Savior. And so, God, I pray that you would draw that out to each of us, uh, where we are in relationship with you. That our hearts would be open, that your, your spirit and his voice would speak to us this morning, and that you would draw us into closer relationship with you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 17 of Acts 28 says, After three days, so he's arrived in Rome, and three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me, since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no charge to bring against my people. (coughs) For this reason, I have asked to see you and to speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Then they said to him, "We haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers has come and reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we want to hear what your views are, since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this sect." And so, what Paul does here is he he sort of he respectfully reaches out to the unbelieving Jews in Rome and explains his story. One of the things that's interesting is they haven't heard about. the charges that the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem have brought against Paul. They haven't sent anyone to the Roman synagogues to share that, that they need to worry about Paul. But his reputation is that he is from a sect that is causing trouble. And so these people, they're, they're willing to hear, but they're cautious. Um, what others say about the message of Jesus keeps them from listening with an open heart. Uh, The traditions of man and their culture teach them to watch out for Jesus. And so, before ever truly listening to the message of Jesus, they're guarded, half hearted, their eyes and ears are partially shut. And if I'm honest with you, there was a time where I fell into this camp. Uh, There was a time where my heart was not open to what God had to say. My interaction with him was half-hearted my my eyes and my ears didn't really want to see what he had for me or listen to his voice and for me you know i was raised in a good home that honored god both sides of my family uh, there were multiple generations of christians before i came along Uh, my, my mom's dad my grandfather he he helped start the first christian radio station in northern nevada he was actively involved in his church. My, my dad's dad, uh, he, he owned one of the Christian bookstores in Reno. My dad went to seminary. He taught at Christian schools. My mom was actively involved in Sunday school. You see, I had advantage after advantage, yet I was so worried about what my classmates, and in particular, what the guys I played baseball with, thought. And my ears had grown deaf to the voice of God. See, what others had to say about the message of Jesus kept me from listening with an open heart. My family, um, particularly one of my older sisters, she saw this and tried to right the ship. I remember when I graduated from high school, she, uh, she bought me a, a Bible. It was the first study Bible I'd ever been given, and it was wrapped in a, in a box. It was about yay big, and it was wrapped in wrapping paper. I remember her handing it to me, and I thought, this is about the right weight for a pistol. <laughs> Like, that's where my mind went. So I pulled the, pull the wrapping paper off, and it says, NIV Life Application Study Bible. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> and I just, I never, I didn't read it. I didn't do anything with it. Uh, I, I moved to Reno and started going to school. And what I learned was that that box with this an NIV Study Bible on it, um, it was a great place to hide my cash because the odds of any of my, my roommates opening it was not, not very good. <laughs> and, and so at that point in time in my life, I, I, re- I wasn't really interested in what Jesus had to say uh, because my, my, the, the opinion of my peers was so important. And then if you've done this, if you've lived this life, what happens is you find out that living in the ways of the world and for what the world and our culture is doing, um, it's lifeless. Um, I, I don't care how good you feel on Saturday night. You've got to wake up the next day. Um, there, there's illusions and there's numbness, but there's no real life. And so what happened for me was I I, I ditched pretty much everything and everyone that I had been living for. Um, Anybody that was going against God or leading me away from him, I just said, I'm all done. And broke off several different relationships. I think I could have handled that different in the moment. But I wasn't strong enough. And so I had to break those ties. And so I ran away from the lifelessness of what the world and my culture was living for, and I ran to Jesus, right? That song we sing, we run to the Father. And you better do it over and over again, because if you run somewhere else, you'll get to experience lifelessness all over again. And so from that point forward, my life has been different and better. Not easy, not comfortable, but different and better. Um, You see, because my life before was a mess, but now love, joy, and peace, those are taking over the mess. They have taken over the mess. And I can still live in those moments of spiritual insa- insanity and pretend like I'm not saved for some stupid reason. But if I'm honest with myself, if I'm living in a way that makes sense, if I'm cognizant of the relationship that I have with God, it's, it's love, joy, peace, patience, right? It's, it's goodness, it's, it's self-control, it's all those fruits of the spirits that we long to have in our life. And those have become the growing norm. In my life. If you're a Christian, you know this. You know this transformation. And so, what God offers us in the gospel of Jesus is He says, Come and be united with me. Have harmony with God and compassion for others. That's what knowing Jesus as Lord does. It causes you to be in harmony with Him and have compassion for others. See, when Jesus enters your life, he, He writes the ship. He changes the heart, he gives life, he challenges sin, he forgives, he uplifts, he directs, he gives purpose, he transforms your character. You see, coming into relationship with Jesus, it's the greatest relationship anyone could ever possibly have. And that's what Paul invites his fellow Jews to know. He says Jesus is the Lord and the Messiah. When you see the word Christ in the scriptures, it's just the Greek way of saying Messiah, the long-awaited savior who would come and deal with sin and death. And and so that's what Paul invites the people into. It's what you're invited into today. And so is your heart soft? Are your eyes open? Will your ears listen? Are you called of God today? Where are you at in this relationship? And that's the confrontation that Paul has with these people. And so what he does, is, and it's not just a confrontation, but it's a confrontation of love, right? And so in verse 23, it says, after arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. So the Jewish leadership in Rome, uh, they come and they meet Paul at the house that he's renting, but under Roman guard. And it says, from dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. Dawn to dusk. You guys ready? I'll let you get out of here says that he tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. And I've shared with you what Paul would do, particularly with his Jewish friends, with his Jewish brothers, is he would go in and he would share with them from the Old Testament. The law means the first law of Moses, first five books, and the prophets. So he would look at the first five books and he would say, Have you read about Abraham and Isaac? And remember, Abraham takes Isaac up on the mountain and he's gonna, God's asked him to sacrifice his son and and God's gonna do two things through this. One, he's gonna teach him that human sacrifice will not be part of worshiping him. But the other thing that he's gonna do is he's gonna show you that God will provide the sacrifice. And this picture of a ram in place of your son, that's a picture of the Messiah. Or he would say, have you not read the book of Isaiah? Have you not heard about the suffering servant? Have you not heard about this one who's going to bear our iniquities? He's going to be chastened on our behalf? He's going to wear our stripes. He's going to be crushed for our iniquity. Did you not read the book that you claim to represent? And he'd show them. Or how about Jeremiah? Have you not heard in Jeremiah and Ezekiel the promise of the new covenant that there'll be one who will come and he'll spill his blood on our behalf, and his his blood will then enter us into a new relationship, a new agreement with God, where you're going to be transformed at your inner being, and you at the very core of who you are. You're going to be a new person. He's going to write his laws on your heart, and he's going to give you direct access to him. He's going to do all these amazing things for you. Do you guys read the book? And so his love for his brothers is so big. But he's not out to win an argument. He's devoted to sharing the life-giving truth of who Jesus is. He's passionate about proclaiming the news of what Jesus has done. One of the interesting things about Paul, and he says this in Romans chapter 9, is that he loves his fellow Jews to the point that he would give up his own salvation to see the nation believe. He says, if I could get... Israel to listen to the message of the Messiah, I'd trade my own salvation for it. He loves people. And what happens is some of the people, they see this in Paul, but more importantly, they see Jesus as the Messiah. They find salvation in Jesus, and others reject this message and seek division. And one of the little interesting side notes of this is that a lot of times you'll hear that, you know, I don't know about this God of the Old Testament. I like the God of the New Testament, but this God of the Old Testament, I'm not so sure. And what's really clear is that there is no distinction. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, they're the same. There's tremendous continuity in the scriptures. And the continuity is this, God loves you, but hates your sin. God cares about you. He knows your name. He knits you in your mother's womb. And he loves you far too much to leave you broken. He, he loves you far too much to let you continue harming the people that you claim to love. And so what he does is he comes and he steps into our brokenness. He steps into my brokenness. And he causes me to be a new creation. He gives me a new life. His spirit indwells me and empowers me. He does the same thing for you. But this message is a difficult one, isn't it? And so in verse 25, disagreeing among themselves, they begin to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, Go to these people and say, You will always be listening, but never understanding. You will always be looking, but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people has grown callous, Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. After he said these things, the Jews departed while engaging in a vigorous debate among themselves. And you look at this in Paul's speech, it's so bold. He says that Isaiah's prophetic words about a people who would ignore God's voice are directed at the current generation of Jews. Isaiah knew that it was directed at his generation. Paul says this is directed at his generation. I think this is true of every generation. From the Garden of Eden forward, all of humanity, each and every one of us, has turned off our ears to God. We've shut our heart to his truth. And we don't want to see what he has to say to us. And so for Paul, you know, if, if he wanted to avoid confrontation, he has a strange way of doing it. You Think of all the things that he's been through. But the bottom line is that the gospel of Jesus is confrontational. The cut, the light, and the alarm speak to our sinfulness and our need to repent. And so what each of us has to realize is that God has never been far from us. He's never been way off from you. He's always present. He's always near. But what does happen to us is there are times where we make it, where we're born this way, and we turn our back. If God's over there, we're looking this way. And if God is speaking, we got those noise-canceling headphones on. They're handy when you've got six kids, but they're not good for the voice of God. <laughs> and we don't want to listen. But what he says we have to do here, and this is the confrontation of the gospel, is we have to realize that that's our stance towards God. Our stance towards God is not I want you. Our stance towards God is shut up. Until the love of Christ breaks through. And when the love of Christ breaks through and you understand what he has done for you, you see your brokenness, you see your sinfulness, you know that as your back is turned to God, all you find is lifelessness. You just continue, you you, you maybe find something to numb yourself, you maybe find a possession to make you feel better for a minute, Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe it lasts a day or two, but there's always something else that you need. It never fulfills. And so you realize the lifelessness of this and you say, I clearly wasn't created for this, but I was made to meet my maker. I was made to have a relationship with the God of the universe who knows me and cares about me. And now I can't do it. I don't have the ability to bridge the gap. And so I need a savior. And you come to that place where you turn. And that's what this word turn, it has the idea of repent. In the New Testament, it means metanoia. It's a change of mind. You say, I'm changing my mind, and I'm having a new approach towards God. I'm not going to fight with him. I'm not going to tell him to be quiet. I'm not going to tune out his voice. My heart is open to him. I want what he wants. I want him to train me in the paths of righteousness. I want to be in harmony with him. I want to love other people in ways that I never could by myself. I want to be in harmony with him and have compassion for people who would even do wrong to me. I want a new life. I wanna be able to treat people who hurt me in ways that is beyond what I could do by myself because when I get hit, I wanna hit back. But what relationship with God teaches me to do is to not, not, not hit back, but to find a way to say, God, you've graced me with everything that you are. You've given me all of your life and you, your son was willing to go to the cross and pay the penalty of my, debt, of, of my sin. And because you have graced your goodness, your kindness, your love, and all of who you are to me, I wanna then give that grace to people who harm me. Because I don't want to live the way that I used to live. I want to be transformed. And that's the alarm bell. That's the cut. That's the bright light. That we as humans We're no good on our own. We weren't designed to be on our own. We were designed to receive from God all of his goodness, all of his love, all of his peace, all of just, do you get this? God is saying, I made everything, I am everything, and I want to give it to you. I want to grace you over and over and over again. And then the point of the grace, the point of you receiving God's grace, is that you would be transformed and then spill that grace out into the lives of other people. That would be heaven on earth. That would be your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the key word in this section is listen. He says in verse 28, he's going to go to the Gentiles, for they will listen. And what that word means is is to hear, listen, and obey. And so you have to realize that it's not enough to just hear the truth. Hearing it doesn't get the job done. It's not even enough to hear it and actively take it in. You have to hear it, take it in, and obey That's what that word listen means. It's to hear, to actively take in the truth, and then set your life up for patterns of obedience to the truth. Jesus would say that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so we realize that Jesus' love language is obedience. Obedience. And the motivation of obedience is not because I have to, but because God's grace motivates me to return his love. And he's not a cosmic rule keeper. What he is, is he's, he's the divine being who extends his love and his life to us. And because he's given that to us, our natural response should be, I trust you, I love you. I'm taking steps of obedience to follow you. You're good. You're trustworthy. You've shown me your goodness all the days of my life. All the times that I've failed and turned my back on you, you never left me. You never forsaked me. You never got away from me. I might have turned my back on you, but you've never turned your back on me. I trust you. You're trustworthy. You've proved your love to me. Uh, We love God because he first loved us and he demonstrated that love to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son on our behalf. So he loves me. I, I, I love in return. I reciprocate God's love. And then out of that love, I take steps of obedience and faith. I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what my buddies say. I don't care what social media says. I care what you say. And so Paul takes that message throughout Rome. In verse 30, it says he stayed two years, two whole years in his own rented house. And he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. I shared this last week. It is very ironic that the enemies of Christ try to hurt Paul. And the end result is the spreading of God's truth to Rome. It's very, it's divine irony. And you know, that's true in your life too. The places where others would try to hurt you. Even your own slip ups, your own mistakes. God takes those things and he says, watch what I can do with that. It says that he does two things here. So from 60 to 62 AD, he's, he's kept under guard. In the house he rented, and he's able to proclaim the kingdom and teach the message of Jesus. Jesus, the Lord, Jesus Christ, the Lordship and his Messiah. Jesus as the Messiah is able to teach those two things. The kingdom of God, we know that as believers, this includes the death and resurrection of Jesus as the basics for experiencing kingdom living now. If you were to listen to the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount is he's talking about attributes that people who are part of his kingdom embody. Okay? Um, that's what it's about. And so we know that that's available to us here and now. The kind of life-giving, transformational uh, presence of God in our lives, that's available to us now. But it's also, it also looks forward to Jesus' return and his reign as a Davidic king. The promises made to David in Second Samuel chapter 7 still stand, and those things will come to pass. And so the kingdom of God, is, it's an already but not yet kingdom. There's an aspect of it where in a spiritual sense, you and I as followers of Jesus, we experience it today. But there's a physical reality of kingdom where Jesus rules and reigns that we await. We await his return. So it's an already but not yet kingdom. Jesus as Lord means that we are in submission to his rule in our lives. Uh, so you have to come to this place where he calls the shots. I don't call the shots anymore. Not very good at it anyway. And then we begin to pattern our lives after Jesus. Jesus as Christ or Messiah means that we see him as the long awaited Savior who has conquered sin and death. We come to a place where we realize that without Jesus' death and resurrection, we're dead in our sins, bound to iniquity, broken to the core, enemies of God, without hope. Christ died for us while we were sinners, and he reconciled us while we were enemies. And so you have to get over a couple of ideas that you have about God that are wrong. One is that he's a rule keeper out to get you. That's not who he is. He is, he is a moral God who wants you to embody his morality and treat others the way that he's designed this world to work. But he's not a cosmic rule keeper out to get you. The other thing you have to realize is that keeping the law doesn't save you, right? Jesus doesn't say, before you come into my house, wipe your boots. Get yourself cleaned up before you sit down at my table. He says, bring the mess to the table. We'll sort it out. But then with Jesus' death and resurrection, our sins are remembered no more. We're freed from iniquity and raised to righteousness. Um, When you hear the word righteousness, you can maybe just have some sort of like, I think I know what that is, but I can't quite grab it. When you hear the word righteousness, uh, the Greek word means fair, equitable, uh, to treat others what is right in a given circumstance. The idea within the scriptures of righteousness is that you are one with God and you're treating others as you would treat yourself. The idea within the scriptures is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and we love our neighbor as ourself. That's righteousness. You can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. I do not have the ability to make it happen. I need harmony with him so that I can treat you with love. If I try and do it the other way around, it won't work. If I try and say, well, I'm going to love other people and I'm going to treat them well and then God will be happy with me, it won't work. But what it is is I trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I know that I've been made a new creation. Because I'm a new creation, I'm going to embody who I am as the spirit of God leads me. And so I'm harmonious with you. I'm receiving everything from you, God. And because I'm receiving everything from you, God, I can bless others. I don't need anything from others. I'm free to give, because I have everything I need from you. That's righteousness. The opposite of that iniquity would be to recognize that if you try and do things without God, inevitably you have to take from others. So with his death and resurrection, We're also new creations at the core. We're not broken at the core. We're new creations. We're made whole. We're children of God. We're we're without an opponent who can separate us from the love of God. You understand that? That if you're in Christ, there is nothing and no one, including yourself, that exists that could separate you from the love of God. You could move away from him. You could go back into this state of spiritual insanity, put the noise-canceling headphones on, and not listen to God's voice. You could live here. But do you know what the scriptures say? It says that he disciplines those whom he loves, and he chastens his children. So if you put yourself in this position where you're ignoring the voice of God, you better get ready for some circumstances where God says, wake up. Because he loves you too much to leave you there. He cares about you too much to watch you hurt yourself and others and so as you look at applying this passage to your, to your life um, what keeps you from honestly and sincerely seeking truth what gets in the way what are your roadblocks maybe you have wrong ideas about God he's a rule keeper I better keep the rules before I ever try and talk to him Maybe you've been hurt by somebody else in your life. Somebody who was supposed to love you took advantage of you. And you can't get through it. You can't see God through it. He's there. He's speaking to you. He wants to heal you. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've been through, as Don would call it, one of those stupid Christian tricks You walk into a church, and the church is supposed to be a place of love and grace and forgiveness, but instead you receive uh, judgment and sideways looks. You ever got that? Man, I thought we were supposed to be seeking God together, but instead I got beat up. Well, God's bigger than that too. Don't let the behavior of people cause you to miss who God is. How do you get past those blocks? Uh, the other one is if, if, if you're, you're a new creation in Christ, you've received this new life from him, um, who can you be praying for for a softening of their heart? Who's in your life where you go, man, I can see that they're kind of cold towards God's voice. They've grown a little callous towards God's voice. And then pray specifically for them and look for ways to demonstrate and speak truth with this person. Um, I really encourage you to come when Matt and Kim O'Brien are here in April. Um, If you don't receive the newsletters that uh, Matt and Kim send out, Matt's stories of how he has the, I mean, it is just God in him. He has the ability to sit with someone and hear their story, care about them, understand where they're coming from. And then share the truth of who Jesus is into their life. And that's what God is calling each and every one of us to. That's not just for the missionary in Boise. Like, that's for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he wants to grow you into that place. And then the third question on your handout there is, is, is what is your story of moving from death to life? You know, I shared with a little bit of mine. What's your story of moving from death to life? Uh, and, and when we talk about this, um, you think about discipleship. There's there's basically five places that you could be sitting in in your journey with Jesus. You, you could be here this morning, and, and you don't know really anything about Jesus. But you, somebody invited you, and you're here to come and see. Like who's Jesus? You're getting a little exposure. Your mom and dad made you come. I don't know. You're getting a little exposure. But the next thing Jesus is going to do is he's going to challenge you on your beliefs and he's going to tell you that you need to repent, change your mind, and believe, trust him. And then once you come to that place of repentance and belief, he says, then they want you to follow me. He says, follow me. And I'm going to teach you about who you are in, in your new creation, your new being, your new existence as a follower of Jesus. I'm going to talk to you about how the spirit of God empowers you. And I'm going to give you all the foundational truths that you need to walk the Christian life. But don't stay there because now you need to walk the Christian life. And so I want you to become a fisher of men. And I want you to start viewing the world and society and your friends and your neighbors and your family. I want you to start seeing seeing them through God's eyes. And that's what God does for us. He trains us to see people through his eyes and be fishers of men, to, to walk alongside people and care about them, know their story, live a life that demonstrates righteousness, that repents when it doesn't, and share the truth of who Jesus is. And he says, once you become a fisher of men, you're going to get to this place where you realize that you're sent. doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter if... If you're helping a neighbor with a project on their yard, it doesn't matter if you're at work. It doesn't matter if you're at the grocery store. It doesn't matter if you're on a mission trip to Ireland. Wherever it is that you go, you're sent. And so you start to see life as God's kingdom. You start to see everything through the lens of, is God's kingdom present in my life, and is it growing? Am I drawing other people into this repentance and relationship with Jesus? So where are you at on the journey? What's your story? And for those of you who don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I I, I wonder if today is the day that you trust Jesus and find life in him. Is today your day? Whatever your excuses are, he's bigger. And then what I would share and ask you to do is if if you're in that place where you're going to accept Jesus, come talk to me. I'd love to give you next steps. If you're, if you're a follower of Christ, I pray that you walk away with this with some tools to speak life into other people's situations, but also a great appreciation for your salvation. And share your story. Be a part of the community of believers that's growing the family of God. Let me pray. Father, this morning we are thankful for the opportunity to hear from you. As we open the pages of the scriptures, that, that's what we get to do. We get to hear from you. You speak to us through your written words. You speak through us through the spirit who's present in all of our lives. Uh, God, you're, you're not far off. You're never away from us. We may turn our back on your presence, but your presence is always with us. And so I pray for each of us this morning that our hearts would be soft because of your love. That we would trust in what your son Jesus has done for us. And that we would continue or start to seek patterns of obedience to who you are and what you've done. Not because we have to, but because we love you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We really hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. Join us again next week as we start our next series titled Words of Life. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we are so glad that you are a part of the family.